If you have a Bible, can you open it, turn it on, or grab one of the um, NIV paperbacks in one of the, the boxes in the center aisle. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. It says this. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he or she will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the way that you speak to us um, through the ancient text, the scriptures. Um, God breathed words. Lord, I pray that this morning uh, you would speak to us because you are a living king. And when we gather Look to you. Um, you're our good shepherd. Would you help us to hear your voice this morning? Would you help us all to grow together? Would you renew our hope this morning? Um, would you help us to become more like Jesus this morning? Lord, I pray that we would all leave here built up. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our series that we've entitled Set Apart. This is part three, a biblical view of holiness. Part three, holiness in action. Holiness in action. This passage that we just read out of 2 Timothy, this is a letter, um, the second letter, if you will, written to a young man who's a pastor in one of the churches in the first century. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to young Pastor Timothy, and it's, it's like leadership advice. It's, it's a lot of like, hey, here's, here's what you're doing good. Here's some encouragement. Don't forget this and make sure you work on that. And it's, it's, it's actually very practical. Um, but it's also written for us because we're not all necessarily vocational pastors, obviously, but we're followers of Jesus. Um, and we're called to, to, to do what we just read, that we would be like holy vessels, uh, cleaned and prepared for honorable use. Let me just read the words again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself or herself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So this morning, we're going to talk about holiness in action. So we've spent what, a few weeks now just talking generally about holiness. What is it? What, what do we mean when we think of God as holy? What does it mean for me to be holy? Last week we talked about holiness holiness lost um, and really holiness restored as well. What does it look like? What does it feel like to actually apply holiness? What what does it look when we begin to live it out? In this passage, holiness um, is being, the word is being used uh, to Um, to communicate something that is not common, 
So this takes us back to week one. Holiness is God's like utter otherness. God is not common. Um, he's special, like extra, ultra, special, unlike any other created thing in all of creation. And that applies to his, his moral integrity. That applies uh, to his mercy. That applies to everything about him is so like to the nth degree, um, unfathomably good, powerful. God is holy. He is not common um, in all of the best possible ways. And in this passage, uh, holiness or the uncommon is paralleled with this idea of clean versus unclean. Um, and this is actually a throwback to like old Testament, Old Covenant, back when the temple was still being used as a place where people would make uh, unblemished sacrifices, pure sacrifices to atone for their sin. So this is actually talked about extensively in the book of Leviticus. And there's all of these elaborate sort of ceremonial rites that God's people were instructed to go through in order to cleanse like one of the holy vessels that would have been used in the temple for worship, for sacrifice. So you kind of have to deep dive back into the old to figure out like, what, what are these references? What's, what's he alluding to? This is what it is. It's Leviticus. Um, 2 Chronicles 23 is probably another, another great reference. Holiness is paralleled with something that has been cleansed. And so God cleanses us. He sets us apart. He makes us holy for a reason, for a purpose. Like there's application to it. What is the reason? What does holiness in action look like? That's our question this morning. Now, for young Pastor Timothy, we're told, if we just keep reading, it says this. I'll read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll skip down a couple lines, to verse 22. He says this, So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So uh, that's kind of the follow-on application for Timothy. Paul's writing directly to Timothy and says, this, this is what it looks like. This is a vessel prepared, cleansed for honorable use, set apart. This is what it looks like lived out. Um, it has to do with pursuing righteousness, fleeing youthful passions. What is that? Youthful passions. I don't know. What do you think? I've got some youth. I have some theories. <clears throat> Let's just stick with the text. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, have nothing to do with foolish, uh, quarrelsome talk. Don't argue. Um, 
Seek peace, be a maker of peace, etc., etc. all the things, we just read it. Um, righteousness, pursue righteousness. What is that? Um, I think we might understand, like, pursue peace, pursue love. What is pursue righteousness? It's a big word. Um, I would define it this way. Um, according to James chapter 2, to be righteous is to be a friend of God, and thus a good friend to others. That's what it means to be righteous. You can look that up, James chapter 2. In fact, I'm going to give a talk on this at one of our GC Friday nights in about a month. Righteousness. Pursue friendship with God. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. That's what it looks like. Holiness in action. Um, For young Pastor Timothy. Let's broaden it a little bit. What might holiness in action look like for you? Or for us, 21st century followers of Jesus in Portland, Oregon. What do you think about that? What would it look like to uh, apply this uh, holiness that God has given you? He's given us pure hearts. He has cleansed us. We don't have to make trips to the temple anymore. The Lamb of God, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Deep, deep, big theological ideas. The bottom line is God did something for us because he loves us. Something that we could never do for ourselves. He makes us clean. He calls us holy. What does it look to put that into action in our lives? What about us? Um, We could go maybe a thousand different places. Um, I'm going to take us to John chapter 13 just for a moment. Um, John chapter 13, you guys know where we're going? This is towards the end of Jesus's ministry on planet earth, just before he's betrayed, arrested, and crucified, and resurrected. It's the upper room discourse. Jesus is kind of having his final meeting with his, his disciples, his, his friends, and he's explaining to them all sorts of things about what's going to happen next. Um, But the first thing he does that evening, just after the meal, he takes out his outer robe, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he begins to wash or cleanse the feet of his disciples. The disciples are shocked. You have to kind of get your head around the first century context. What Jesus was doing was utterly uh, unacceptable. It was just utterly shocking, borderline offensive. Offensive to the disciples because he was making himself into like um, an unclean, virtually inhuman servant. He brought himself so low so as to serve his own followers. He humbled himself and made himself a servant and washed the feet of his disciples. And for what purpose? Well, after he's done, he gets up and he says, now, I need you to understand something. Although they don't really understand. They, they get it later. We all eventually get it with the help of the Holy Spirit. He said, you need to understand what I've just done. I've actually given you an example. I want you to do for each other what I have just done for you myself. This is what greatness in my kingdom is going to look like. This is what holiness in action is going to look like love. Humble yourself. Serve one another. 
He goes on to say it explicitly. After this little moment, this little discourse, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, which ironically is not a new commandment. I, I, I suspect Jesus is being a little cheeky. He's like, I'm gonna, let me give you the new commandment, the commandment you had from the beginning. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Okay, remember the greatest commandment, love God and each other? This is the greatest commandment. Je Jesus is coming, he's reframing it to be sure. The commandment is love one another. And then he says this. This is, this is what I'm kind of been building up to. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. By the way that you love one another. Or to put it another way, this is how the world will see you as set apart by the way you love one another. That's the thing that's going to make you uncommon, different, weird, in a really good way. That's what holiness lived out looks like. That's what it means to be set apart, to love to love in a way that the world looks on and they don't know whether they want to kill you, hate you, love you, join the club. They just know it's very, very different. That's holiness lived out. By this, all people will know. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. How are we made holy? Jesus washes us. He takes on the position of humble servant and lays down his life. How will the world know that we have been cleansed by Jesus? Or what is the sign that we've been set apart? They will know by the way we love one another. This is the purpose of holiness, to love like Jesus. This is our honorable use. This is the purpose of the clean vessel in the master's house. This is the good work that Jesus invites us to do. Holiness in action looks like love. You guys with me so far? This is super basic, right? This is the power of the gospel. Jesus teaches us, empowers us. He loves us such that we might love like him that we might love others. And this is holiness. This is how we're set apart. And of course, you might ask, well, okay, let's, let's unpack love a little bit more. Do we just all, shall we have a feet washing moment? Heck no. I don't want any of you to touch my feet. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, no, that's obviously not, the, it could be, it could be, I don't know, like some people do it, maybe you really need someone to wash your feet. Um, but I, I think there's more to it than that. What, what does this uh, picture of humble servant love look like um, in our lives? So let's, let's keep drilling down. Um, going back to 2 Timothy, there's, there's more here, there's more here. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, skipping forward just a little bit more. Let me read this to you. But understand this. Well, let, me, let me pause. Let me tell you what, what we're about to read. Um, this is what love doesn't look like. That's, that's actually what's 
what's about to happen next. This is what love doesn't look like. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having, and this gets me every time, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. How do you do all of those things and yet still appear godly? Avoid such people. Verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Talking about like, uh, like widows, innocent, like my grandma. Who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always, always learning, not talking about the weak women, talking about the creepers. They're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. Um, this is, you know, what, you know what this reminds me of? You remember the, the story or the parable that Jesus told in uh, the gospel according to Luke I think it's Luke, I uh, wrote it down. Yeah, Luke 18, there it is. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's only told in Luke's uh, gospel. Um, it's a challenging parable. It's the story about, um, Jesus tells this story um, about a Pharisee. This is a very, very religious person. Um, extremely knowledgeable when it comes to the scriptures. And then the tax collector. This, this is like the pariah of Jewish society. Like this guy's doing everything wrong. He's, he's, he's sold out. He's the epitome of the guy who doesn't belong. And as he tells this story that both a Pharisee and a tax collector go into the temple to pray. And the tax collector stands off to one side and he starts praying. And he says, man, God, I thank you so much that, you know that I'm so good and I do all the religious things and I, and I, I, I pay my tithe and I, and I go to church and he like lists off all the things then he adds this bit and he says and I'm glad I'm not like that guy and he compares himself to the tax collector who's standing at the back of the room I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, but the tax collector standing far off who won't even look up, look up prays, God, have mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, you know who, who left the temple justified in the sight of God that day? You want to guess? It wasn't the religious jerk. It was the tax collector. It was the guy who didn't feel worthy at all to even be there. He's getting it all wrong. Probably felt very dirty. And he stood in the back of the room, unable to even look up, make eye contact with God. I bet you he had quite a caricature 
of God in his mind. Too holy to even make eye contact with. But he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I know it. And the point being, the very simple point being, this is, this is, um, this is what I'm looking for. Love is not the guy who has all of the answers and know exactly how to act. And yet, in his heart of hearts, he believes he's better than everyone else because he has all the right answers and he knows, how, just, he knows just how to act in church. Uh, this is super challenging, right? Oh, it is to me because I also have all the answers. I know exactly how to act at any given time. <laughs> So I think. Do you need some water, my love? Okay, so that's, that's what love isn't, right? I think intuitively we, we probably all get that, right? We don't need to be told like, yeah, loving, a hypocrisy is not super loving. Being an arrogant jerk who has all the right answers, not super loving, doesn't impress God. Okay, we get that, right? Jesus says it explicitly. So what does loving others look like? I'll put it this way. It begins with the stronger taking the position of a humble servant. And not because you're pretending to be the bigger person, utilizing your superior humility in order to prove your piety. Let me say it again. <clears throat> Loving others begins with the stronger taking the position of a humble servant. Not because you're pretending to be the bigger person, utilizing your superior humility in order to prove your piety. You know, we, that's a thing too. You think, oh, I'm going to be the bigger person. Yeah. Okay. It's because you've realized that you're actually not better than the tax collector. Because apart from Jesus showing you mercy, washing your feet, making you holy, you too would find yourself living on the outside, desperately working to convince yourself and everyone else that you are worthy of love. And no one wants to live like that. That's not how we experience love, and that's not how we show love. Um, that, by the way, is a gentle but very firm rebuke um, to maybe a few of you here in the room. I mean, I can't see your heart, but this is, like, Jesus goes, goes there, right? He challenges, like, church folk. Super uncomfortable. He challenges the people who think they, they know all of the answers and by acquiring more and more knowledge, by, by achieving like the theological high ground that somehow they've, they've, they've elevated themselves, they've worked their way up and they're the more mature, the more holy person. And that's not how it works at all, actually. Jesus cleanses us, he makes us holy and simultaneously sets the example for us. This is what holiness lived out looks like. It's love. It's humbling yourself. It's the stronger one taking the position of humble servant. 
And for us, it's not because we necessarily are the stronger one. We may think we are at times. And in fact, let me, a little side thought, a little side thought. This has to do with like um, brothers and sisters getting along when we don't agree on certain um, things, things in life, uh, maybe politics. Uh, even the Christians can like have nasty, nasty arguments over like theological things, like really important things. Um, but we can be we can be quarrelsome. Let's put it that way, right? Super quarrelsome. And so, what do you do when you're in a place where you think like, no, I'm right. I'm right. Jesus told me I'm right. I got Bible verses that tell me I'm right. And then you have a brother or sister who's like, no, you're you're just in sin. That's your problem. You've you've uh, deceived yourself, and you're proof texting. Um, which I would never do because I'm like a properly religious. We go on and on. We play this game and we become quarrelsome. This is why church, church is split. And Jesus says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. This is what holiness looks like lived out. It's when you in your higher position come low. So how can I serve you? How can I use my revelation or the grace that I've received, or the pure heart that Jesus has given me to lift you up? How can I take the position of a lowly servant? That's how we're set apart. Okay, that's enough of a rant. Um, That is gentle correction for the religious know-it-alls. But what does loving each other look like for those who don't? What does holiness lived out Loving others look like for the tax collector. What is holiness lived out or loving others like Jesus look like for the person who doesn't even love themselves? That's, that's sort of something different, right? It's one thing to be told off a little bit and be like, hey, why don't you take it down a couple notches? Stop thinking that you're superior to the people around you, like a Pharisee. But what about the tax collector who feels utterly unworthy to even, like, step into the room? And now you're you're telling him or her, hey, you should get low. You 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 should humble yourself, you know? Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) What do you want me to do? What does that person... Um, how does that person love like Jesus? I'll put it this way. It begins with allowing the stronger to take the position of a humble servant. It is good. Um, It's the exact same thing I said just a second ago. It begins by allowing the stronger to take the position of a humble servant. You're going to need courage. I'm speaking to the tax collectors in the room. You're going to need courage in order to let someone who you possibly don't even like to do their awkward, imperfect best at washing your feet this morning. Isn't being loved by difficult people super, super hard? 
you may say, um, but what about self-love? Shouldn't we um, suggest to the tax collector, you know what you should really do, buddy? You should just learn how to love yourself better. That's like common advice, right? You hear that around. What do you think about that? Have you ever been told that? Have you ever told someone that? You should learn how to love yourself better. Now I'm getting controversial. I realize this. Um, It isn't bad advice, per se. It's not bad advice. Um, I think it's just kind of cruel, actually. I'm way too good at hating myself to to pretend like I actually love myself, even on my most delusional days. Okay, for you to tell someone that hates themselves, they should just get a little bit better at loving themselves. It's, it's, it's cruel. You're telling me that I should love myself when actually deep, deep down I hate myself. Suggesting that I just get better at loving myself, it sounds like a good idea, but it doesn't solve anything. At the very, very best, it is a stopgap. But it doesn't deal with like the core, the heart, the essence of what's really going on in the tax collector's mind. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. I'm too broken. I'm dirty. And you're simply telling me that I should love myself? Well, I don't. I hate myself. And maybe for good reason. Maybe. Maybe. The Christian story, it offers um, a, a different answer. Jesus wants to set us free from a life of self-centered, self-sufficient, self-worshipping, self-hating, self-comparing, self-condemning, self-defending, self-obsessing, hell on earth, insanity, so that you might experience the joy of dying to self in order to truly gain everything. Learning to love yourself is not a bad thing. I get it. I try to stay up with pop psychology. It's not bad. It just doesn't get to the heart. I need someone who can love me much, much better than I love myself. Because half the time, I just hate myself. Jesus wants to set me free from self. Jesus can set you free from a life of self-centered, self-sufficient, self-worshipping, self-hating, self-comparing, self-condemning, self-defending, self-obsessing, hell on earth, insanity. So that you might experience the joy of dying to self in order to truly gain everything. And here's the catch. Here's how it works. Jesus loves using broken people. This is holiness in action. When the Pharisee and the tax collector both repent. The guy who thinks he's holier than thou is brought to his knees in order to serve the one who feels too dirty to even look up. And despite his self-hatred, the unworthy tax collector trusts that Jesus is in those shaking hands. 
The miracle of holiness is that everyone gets to repent. Everyone gets to realize it's not up to me to convince me that I am worth being loved, that I am lovable. And it's not up to me to impress God and the world and the church and all those who are looking on that I do have all the answers and I've I've mastered my religious techniques. Holiness lived out is when the the Pharisee realizes that I'm not fooling anyone and the invitation for me is to come low and to serve others. And repentance for the tax collector is to simply admit that I do need God to teach me what it, what it feels like, what it looks like, what it means to be loved. And Jesus loves using broken people. It could be that that same person that you thought was causing you to feel unlovable is now going to cross the aisle and say, can I wash your feet? And he's going to be shaking. He's going to be trembling. And you're going to be thinking, get the heck away from me. It's people like you that make me like freak out walking into a place like this. Will you please let me wash your feet? I've realized that I'm no better than you. Will you please let me serve you? Will you let me work out my repentance by being like Jesus? Repentance looks like great courage. That's holiness lived out. The only person that wins in that story, wait, let me put it this way. The only hero in that story is Jesus. And the only winners are anyone who says yes to Jesus. Can we stand together, please?